Welcome to another episode of Front Row Material. My name is Mike Freeland. Mike, Mike, I am Mike, 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 Mike. What? what? What are you doing? Well, that was actually pretty good. Yeah, but but you can't compete with our guests this week. Oh. Guests, roll it. And well. It is And the quintessential stud muffin, Joel, when I'm making breakfast the next morning for your mother (laughs) and your older sister, I'm the bacon in their eggs (laughs) and the milk in their cereal, and they pop out of their boots for all of my bedroom moves. Cause they're all front row material. Gertner. Keep listening to this crossover episode and have yourself an ear guest. Joel, what's happening, buddy? Hey, man, I'm all right. Good. Can't complain. How are you guys? Fat, but less fat. <laughs> You're a lot less fat. How many you had to have lost, what, close to 30 pounds? Yeah. 30 pounds. Wait, you're less fat than me. Yeah. Um, I, you know, you ever watch that show, 600 Pound Life? Yes. Me too. <laughs> I, oh, oh, no, I, you know what? Sometimes during dinner, and it's, uh, and it's extremely motivational to stay less fat like Mikey. I think you agree. That, that's, it's easy to stay less fat. Nothing, I mean, just, listen, I mean, you know, just ducks, ducks, you know what I mean? Like, just, you know. I mean, I'm all for being politically correct and for not wanting to hurt anybody's feelings either. But I mean, it's not good to be that size. So I think we can all agree that, you know, having that on during dinner might be better if you're like me and you're a fat boy at heart and you have a proclivity towards eating, you know, quantitatively and qualitatively, putting your best foot forward in the old college try at the dinner table. I just think it's, you know, to have that on versus something like cooking channel or food. Network. You know, I don't know. Don't judge me though. You know what I mean? I'm, I said, I didn't say it to be judged. Just leave me alone. I, I, I completely agree. Cause I used to be a closet fatty. And then I figured, fuck this. I'm coming out of the closet and I'm going to be a public fatty. Let your fat flag fly brother. 
Oh, oh, he did when I put him in the Texas Cloverleaf. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and, and, he, and that wasn't even like fat fat. That was just chunky. That was just chunky. Oh, my God. That was chunky, Mackie. Husky. I hit a massive, no joke, a fat fuck 261. Wow. So. And how tall are you? 5'9". Oh. Yeah. So it, 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 it got to the point where it was unhealthy. Like when you're young and fat, it's like, ah. You're young and fat. But when you get like, you know, my age, you know, 40, mid 40 fat, that's when it's like, well, now I'm going to get the diabetes. I'm going to be getting phone calls from Wilford Brimley. (laughs) (laughs) No, but brother, but it's resonating with me because I'm just now realizing that there's only less than a decade or two of difference between first you're walking into the store and it's cute and you're husky. And handful of years later, and they call it morbidly obese in the doctor's office. What's that? Well, yeah, that's right. Well, Joel, as long as you're still not having those wing eating contests with Big Sal, not in public, <laughs> <laughs> not for ECW money in the year two thousand. Don't take this wrong, but that was one of the most disturbing things I've ever seen. <laughs> so, yeah, I tried. Thank you. <laughs> I've never seen someone. I mean, you and you kicked his butt pretty easily, didn't you? I tried. Listen, I'm not um, in there. You know, I'm not in there taking bumps. I'm not in there blood, sweat, tears. I, I, I was a non-wrestling wrestling personality. So I knew where my bread was buttered and how to keep my spot. And it was to essentially do everything but the wrestling. And if that meant being a clown, great, then that's a night off. But if it meant taking these suicidal spicy wings that are hot in that vein, they're also piping hot because we're right near Anchor Bar. They were delivered in that, like, the stuff that they wrap marathoners in at the end of the race. To, like, <laughs> so, they're, so they're, like, they're 375 degrees if they weigh an ounce. And, like, so as I'm eating them for speed to beat Big Sal, for number but also for speed to put on the best possible show, what I'm actually doing is I'm biting the insides of my cheeks, ripping them apart to blood while that spicy oh. hot sauce, oh hot, hot sauce, both. I mean, just a real Shiza fiesta, man. Just a real, oh. I've got this nightmare, yeah. I've never seen someone within seconds just stick a wing in their mouth, pull it out, and there's nothing left but bone. That was amazing. Thank you. That's what, um, that's what she, I, you know, depending on who she is. I don't want to say that's what she said because my wife never said it. But, um, but then again, I didn't know my wife back in 2000. So. That's what she said. <laughs> but yeah, it's doable. It's a, it's a skill. It's, I don't know whether you refer to it as an art or a science, but it's uh, to be able to kind of corn on the cob typewriter style, just and out comes the bone. And it's, yeah, it's doable. Um, but it takes a lot, of, a lot of practice, a lot of love, discipline, um, self-esteem, lack thereof, whatever. Just, just time, time and effort. Joe, no, it was, it was pretty amazing to watch. I've I never seen you. anything like it. Joel, your uh, corn on the cob audio effect there reminded me of the time there was a turkey in the room. Yes, sir. It, that That's the effect. That's the one. Um, that all of my <laughs> friends and family know that as the there's a turkey in the room sound. It's uh, <laughs> it, it's it double. There's a variant. There's a cousin of it. That's my um, cunnilingus sound. But um, but no, but it is definitely <laughs> the there's a turkey in the room sound. Um, and yeah, and yeah, Sabu. I think Sabu was honestly of the impression uh, of some sort that there was, um, in any case, some form or fashion, uh, some kind of turkey in the room. Something um, was a foul. Yeah, there oh, you no. go. There oh, you go. No. That's nice. That was well played. <laughs> Five points, Mikey. 
Joe, tell tell them that story because that was that was hilarious. We were sitting. This is actually the story I think that I gave. They asked me to um, put in a paragraph for Sabu's book that just came out. Kenny Casanova said, "Can you tell a story?" I was. I mean, I can tell this one, I guess. Um, and we were, everybody was just kind of, you know, chopping it up and hanging out, uh, decompressing after an ECW show one night somewhere, somewhere during a relatively warm month or warm season in a relatively warm locale. It could have been Florida, Louisiana, somewhere, but it was a hotel room that I think like outdoor, like motel style. And it had like, um, outdoor access. Like there was a door that you could open and just kind of leave it open and have the breeze, so I guess it was potentially feasibly possible um, that that there could have been a turkey or some sort of poultry or fowl or or something of the avian nature, uh, as Vince McMahon in the 70s might say, avian extraction. Um, but, um, but yeah, it could have been. So we were just sitting there, you know, just doing whatever everybody was doing. Let's say, for example, drinking. And uh, and all of a sudden I figured and everybody's playing little ribs and everybody's like, you know, I think we may have had cell phones at that time. Might have been. So everybody's like, you know, just whatever. And everybody's doing crazy stuff. So I'm like, here's something crazy I can do. I'll make a noise. And I did the turkey noise. And when I did it, it it was as if Sabu was in my mind reading the message of what I was hoping to elicit from him. I was basically looking for something on the order when I made the noise of this guy going, holy shit, there's a turkey in the room. And I make the noise and he goes, there's a turkey in the room. There's a turkey in the room. So that's the story. So it's in the book. He's he's looking under the bed going, fuck, fuck, there's a turkey in the room. Yeah, yeah. No, that's true too. Yeah, I think I, I think I remember that well enough that when I told it to Casanova, I meant it. Yeah, that's exactly what happened. He went looking for the turkey. Yeah. <laughs> I wanted to ask you this though: Is it true that uh, you were a former Cornell student that uh, stopped going to pursue a career in wrestling? That is true. Wow. Yeah, that is true. I did. I did three years, and at the end of my third year. Uh, it was mutually decided. Um, yeah, they were kind of like, seems like, uh, seems like you don't need or want to be here right now, huh? I was like, mm, full time, depending on how things go in this next year, maybe not. And they were like, all right, well, maybe consider taking a break. It was kind of like the whole like, like, you know how in government it's like, OK, we're not going to fire you, but we'll let you quit. Right. It, it was kind of a meeting like that where, you know, they were like, yeah, you know, you've got other stuff to do. So let's address that another time. You know, if you want to come back, door might be open, you know, but if, if this is something that's worth leaving us for, then, you know, then go ahead and, and, you know, God bless. So that's what I did. I rolled the dice. I would rather regret doing it. And then even if ECW didn't work out and even if Cornell didn't take me back, I guess I could just finish up college somewhere else, wherever, which I wound up doing anyway. So I guess what I figured was whether I knew it or not at the time, the full extent is that I'd rather leave and do ECW full time and regret that decision than stay at school, not proceed with ECW and hope to you know catch on maybe with a different wrestling company at a different time and regret that. I thought the larger regret would be in not giving it a try. So, uh, so yeah, I, I shelved it. So you were taking bookings while you were there, correct? I was. Before ECW in the first couple of years, I only was over the summers when I was home. 
uh, closer to New York City, closer to Brooklyn. So I was kind of on like the George the Animal skill plan where I would do like the school year at school up in Ithaca. And then I would do the summer in Brooklyn and take, you know, just the whole, you know, the city, Jersey, Long Island, wherever would have me. You know, Dennis Coraluzzo, Tommy D, you know, all the stuff that was around in the 90s. Wow, Tommy D. <laughs> Shit, I haven't heard that name in forever. So what was your what was your first introduction when it came to ECW as far as meeting Paul and kind of getting introduced into the promotion itself? How did that all come about? Um, I followed it. I, I, you know, I was an internet fan and a wrestling observer fan. I was kind of a smart fan going back to like uh, the very late eighties. So, um, so I knew of ECW and, and tri-state and the whole, everything that was going on in Philly. Um, because even though I was too young to really, you know, 100 miles, like two hours, but still, you know, I started in the business at 16 in 91. And in those first couple of years, like in the early nineties, uh, I wasn't really traveling uh, even as far as Philly to take bookings, but I was aware of ECW and up at school on whatever day of the week that it aired on Sports Channel Philly, like Tuesday afternoon, Tuesday evenings, whatever. Um, I'd be at a sports bar up in Ithaca that I'd walk a mile or two to uh, into town and uh, they had a satellite dish. It picked up all of the different uh, RSNs, all the sports channels and primes and everything else. So it had Sports Channel Philly. Uh, I would watch the show so I'm kind of reading in the Observer and then watching along to the TV once a week from out of town. Um, and that's how ECW was on my radar. I, I knew some folks from the indie circuit, some friends of mine, uh, who would go there and work, do jobs, whatever. And, um, and that was about it. And finally, I guess it was, it was 95 when I went to a show, one of my first two or three, uh, went to hang out after the show, hang out with friends, and I just ran into Paul Heyman at the Travelodge in the lobby right by the elevator bank, right where the elevators were. And I said to myself, well, you know, now's as good a time as any. So if you're going to ask for a job, the guy you should ask is here. So, you know, so go ask him. And I basically gave him an elevator pitch, like they call it now, like if you watch CNBC or whatever, except at the time, I don't even know if it was called an elevator pitch. And if it was, I had no idea that that's what it was. <laughs> but I just basically took my 30 seconds with him that I thought I might have and said, hey, Paul, you know, uh, I'm, I, you know, I'm a kind of ancillary guy. I do like um, managing, ring announcing, refereeing. I don't wrestle, but uh, but I do what I can. And uh, and I go to Cornell. And I know you guys have a show in Middletown at Sportland Cafe. I said, I don't know if your timekeeper and ring announce crew that does all of the Philly local stuff, I don't know if they're going to be in Middletown or not. But if you needed somebody there, you know, I'd be happy to go as an audition. And uh, basically that, you know, just whatever came out of my mouth, wanting a job at age 19. And he just kind of looked at me and he was like, you want it? I was like, yeah. He was like, you got it. Be there by five. Wow. That was it. Yeah, be there by five turned into like five plus years. That's incredible. So what, yeah. what was your first impression of Paul when you started to work with him and start to get to know him? Did you feel like he was a pretty straight shooter? As much as he could be. Yeah, I mean, he had a lot of masters to serve. And he had a lot of masters serving him and he had to, you know, just like any boss, he's got to act like he has 
all the time in the world for you, even though he doesn't. And at the same time, you know, he's probably got a very active mind, creative mind and vivid imagination. So, he, you know, I, I don't know. I kind of just, you know, treated him like an older, wiser, more experienced version of myself and just, you know, showed him whatever respect golden rule style that I would hope to receive as, you know, just another masochist who devotes their life to this crazy business. And, uh, so I tried to stay out of his way as much as possible. Um, just pick my battles and, you know, just get moments here and there where I can maybe pitch some creative stuff or whatever. Uh, I just didn't want to feel like I was burdening him or didn't want to be in his hair too much. Cause I could see that, you know, even when ECW wasn't, you know, TNN and albums and video games and action figures and magazines, it was still, you know, a huge, even in 95, 96, compared to whatever else was out there, it was a huge deal because it was all there was, was WWF, WCW, and everything else was, you know, those were Madison Square Garden and everything else was, you know, as Scotty would say, Madison Square Garden Armory. And that's, you know, that's it. (laughs) So we we were kind of, you know, the one, like Paul said, I guess one time at a QA and a or at a panel, um, maybe the Terry Funk weekend, the banquet, he said, you know, right now we're happy being Snapple. You know, there's a war out there. And it's Coke versus Pepsi. It's the soda wars. And we're Snapple. And we're happy being Snapple. And it's tough enough being Snapple. And uh, so I, I knew that he had a huge operation. And I just, I didn't want to be in the way. So when you first started working, did you, what was your take of some of the guys that you started working with? Were everybody pretty receiving you pretty well when you first started working there? Uh, yeah, I think so. I think a lot of people... Not to their discredit, like not not that they're bad f- people for it, but I think a lot of people who didn't know me yet, I, I don't think they knew what to make of me. You know, they I think I was held at arm's length, I think, by a few people just because, you know, people never know. I mean, here's me, you know, like I say, I don't bump, I don't bleed, I don't, you know, I'm not running a mile in 20 minutes inside that, you know, inside the ring between the, I'm not, I'm just you know, I'm a clown and I'm just a talker and I'm just kind of, you know, like I said, ancillary talent. And I think when you're that combined with being as young as I was, because I started in the company three days after my 20th birthday. So for most of ECW, uh, I'm in my early 20s. And then towards the end of it, I'm in my mid 20s. But I did the whole run between 20 and 25. And, uh, and even though most, a lot of the even top guys were super young, but I I was just, I was kind of the baby. And again, because people just didn't know. Plus like, I like to goof off a lot, but then at the same time, I want to make sure that I'm not being kind of mistaken for, for being too aloof and too goofy. So it was, it was just, it was a strange dynamic, but I think as people got to know me, um, there were most of the locker room, if not all with the exception of one or two, were were super super friendly but i i you know sometimes i very much treated myself like i was at the kids table and sometimes it was very much kind of you know speak when spoken to and i think you know that put some people off but you do what you can well when i first broke in the business uh gary derusha was referee in the old awa and he he told me when i went to do squash matches and stuff at the tv tapings he just said find your spot Put your bag there and keep your eyes and ears open and your mouth shut. And 
you know, if some people take that the wrong way, well, you know, it's, I don't know, it's on them, I think, because you're just trying to be, you know, very courteous and very respectful of everyone, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes that gets misread. Um, As stuck up, right? Yeah, because you never know, you know, if you're, you know, it's very, it's like binary code, you know, if you're sending out a zero and people are looking at that zero and they're like, hey, is that a zero or a one? You know what I mean? Like, Although I did leave out the part where you, you run around and introduce and shake hands first. You know? <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, you be, wouldn't dare not do that because I've know, heard that's not really a thing anymore. Everywhere. It should always. be. It, yeah. Why not? It's not as yeah, ridiculous as the as the quote unquote worker handshake, which oh, when, I, when I got in there, ridiculous. <laughs> thing. Yeah, I, I couldn't believe that when I first got the business. I'm like, what is this? I thought, you know, you were supposed to be a bunch of tough guys and you're doing this. Yeah. But I got to tell you, Joel, one thing I really, really enjoyed was your feud with Cyrus. I loved it and thought it was so entertaining. That was mostly him. That was definitely more than 50% him. And I, and I can say that even if I know in the back of my mind that I'm an egotist, and even if I know that I want to pat myself on the back as much as possible, I'm still always going to say it was more than 50% him because it was 50% him. But then beyond that, I upped my game because I knew I was in there with him because I was a big mark for him. And the stuff that I saw him do with the acolytes on WWF TV. So when I saw that he was in the back and then he was in the back week after week and that he was going to be coming in the same way, like with Jamie Dundee, I said to myself, all right, now you're you're working with another talker. So, you know, you got to be at the top of your game. Well, that's how you learn. Yeah, I, I, I had the pleasure of working with Cyrus when he would do the, the Nate gimmick. And I think we were up in Canada. It might have been, oh, it was in Saskatchewan when we did the week-long gig at the, some huge carnival. But uh, he was, he's always been hilarious and funny. And and when he, when I turned heel in ECW and he managed me, it was so much fun. He he made everything so much fun. So, but I just had to say, I loved your feud with him. Oh, thank you, man. No, yeah, he's, he's a character. I, I got to catch up with him a couple of months ago. Uh, at an after party when TNA was in town impact and, uh, and yeah, man, he's a great guy. You know, in addition to Cyrus, who were some of the other people that you felt that you genuinely connected with, you know, and you're obviously not going to connect with everybody, but were there some people that you thought, man, I, I just really, I really connect and I really jive with these guys. Guys like Jerry and Mikey, you know, I'm, I'm, and, and certainly because Mikey was there, already when i got there mikey obviously was there kind of from the beginning right yeah pretty much so um so mikey was already like kind of an anchor of the locker room um for as young as he was um you know going to talk about how young we all were but yeah he, he was an elder statesman to me uh and the fact that uh he was always you know cool and and never let that you know get to his head or never you know mad dogged or big leagued anybody uh but jerry too jerry's a gentleman and, and then in the same vein, um, Axel Rotten. Axel Rotten's another guy. He was like, uh, God, like I'll watch a Chris Farley documentary, and like every time I stop thinking about Axel, thirty seconds will go by, and I'll see Chris Farley do something or hear somebody say something about him, and I'll just think about Axel again. So, um, uh, well, Axel's—he's one of the best 
I've ever seen on the mic. He could work everything. any crowd up yep. into a frenzy with, with just cutting a promo. It was amazing. Yeah, he he was he was under under estimate. He was just a uh, real. I mean, he just he he was wrestling man. He just he was. I mean, different body type than Chris Candido, but like just wrestling man. Just just a real like if wrestling is vaudeville and if wrestling is a variety show, then uh, then that's Axel. You know. Uh, we got along real well. Uh, New Jack is another guy that I think when I tell a lot of people that we got along, they're like, wow, wow, that's so cool. Um, yeah, I mean, we're, you know, I'm sure, you know, our, you know, there's a lot different about us, but um, but we never let that get in the way. I mean, whether it was, you know, going out and having, you know, whatever food the town had to offer or just whatever else, just cutting up and having fun and, you know, laughing at each other's jokes, making fun of stuff. I mean, People are surprised that Jack and I got along as well as we did while we were in ECW, but we did. Um, just a few people, a lot of people. Meanie, Meanie's another guy. I and I'm I'm in touch a lot with Meanie to this day. He's one of my close friends too, and uh, and he's another great guy. I mean, there's just we had a great locker room. We had a lot of guys that just you know they didn't get in for the money. They got in because they were fans of the business. They. Um, you know, they just, they weren't jaded. It's not like, you know, got some guys, you know, came from WWF or WCW to ECW and whether they felt it was a step down or whether they felt, you know, they needed to kind of have their guard up or whatever. But the originals, so to speak, we just, you know, we were the not ready for primetime players. You know what I mean? We were the Island of Misfit toys and uh, we were a family, you know, we, nobody had our backs, but us. So can you remember a time that you look at and you say, man, that was really, that was the pinnacle of my time in ECW. Like I look at that and I think back, it didn't get any better than that as far as your career went. I get little blasts of that. Like I'll have little memories in different moments. And so I don't think there's only to say that there was one pinnacle is tough. The first thing that just came to mind right now was barely legal. Um, that was a great moment just to prove that we could do, you know, a pay-per-view level production. And because everything we always did was seat of our pants, no pyro, no music. Dudley's no music, everybody else music, but music that ECW was so cool that we put the music on and nobody would ever dare tell us not to use the music or to pay them because everybody's watching ECW under the radar. You know what I mean? So, but like no makeup, no lighting, no, nothing, just complete bare bones. Everything ECW did was like, you know, back of the cocktail napkin stuff. And uh, so to go into something where you bring in a production truck that's going to burn out all the Transformers on the block and you're bringing in like drug dogs to like make sure that there's not a bomb in the building. And like <laughs> you've got people from WCW there in town because Nitro's the next night. But instead of them going out on the town or hanging with Philadelphia friends, you know, outside the business, whatever, they're all hanging out in the back. Of the, you know what I mean? It, it was like that was, I think, really that that was when I knew that, like, if things went if things kept going in the right direction, there was definitely a lot of mileage in that direction I had now. Joel, how did you get with the Dudleys originally? Because I started thinking about it earlier, and I go, I have no idea how that even happened. The Dudleys. God. That was – it was a constant, like, work in progress. 
that ne- that just never it was its own it was like a play within a play like like every but like everybody is really mm-hmm. but like more so though because it was this kind of family stable and it was very fluid where like people came in and out of it and there were heel dudleys and babyface dudleys and dudleys of this race and that race and it was just it really kind of was um maybe more than any other storyline or gimmick or whatever it was a play within a play and i fit into it i think as like a fish out of water type like kind of like what what are they doing with him and like what's he doing with them and like what's the reasoning behind it and why is this guy a dudley and is he really a dudley or is it just a business arrangement or like I don't know. It was just, it constantly changed and it constantly evolved. You know, I I went from dressing up just kind of company colors, red, white, and black with like a tux type suit or whatever. And then one day we're in a barn, we're in um, Body Slam Arena in Reading. Oh, yeah. Now it's a silo. So it's like July. So (laughs) So it's just like the ECW arena. If it's like 93 degrees outside then it's like 194 degrees in the building so i'm there and i'm like mixing business with pleasure because i know it would be cool not to have a shirt because then i'm kind of doing the whole like chippendales thing and 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 i'll be more over for wearing the jacket and the bow tie without the shirt but at the same time, I also just frankly don't want to be wearing a shirt because every layer I could get rid of is great because it's 100 degrees in the building. So I asked if I could not wear a shirt and they were like, OK. And then when I took total elimination, I wound up in the neck brace. And then the neck brace got a bow tie and it got different <laughs> designs on it. The shirt never came back, even when it was winter. So it was <laughs> like my I kept evolving the Dudleys kept evolving through like turns of like all of them kind of, I mean, Devon started out as a heel. So yeah. I don't know that Devon ever was really a baby face until they turned out at the end and went into WWF. But like Bubba turned spike was a baby face the whole time. A uh, big dick. I think t- he moonsaulted me. I remember. Right. So he t- like, there was just, it, it was really, it was crazy, man. How I wound up with them, I don't know. I mean, you'd have to ask Paul for the for the real inside baseball on it, but I just know that I was blessed to be with them for as long as I was. Because you can only really get sometimes two or three good years out of some stuff. Even the NWO had really maybe two, three good years in it. And, uh, and I was with the Dudleys for two or three years, so uh, it was a blast. Definitely a career highlight. We had heard that the Dudleys were were the type of performers that could almost incite a riot. Were you ever with them at any point in time where they were just getting the crowd so whipped up into a frenzy that you almost kind of worried about what was going to happen? Um, I, I mean, I didn't worry so much because Big Dick's there and you've got Atlas Security and stuff. So, it's about the Cobb County Civic Center? There were so many times there. God. Oh my God. There In was Marietta. the Yeah. I remember the yeah. one the one of Staten Island. Staten Island was I was just about to, and then um what was the guard armory in Pennsylvania? I don't remember if it was not Willow Grove, but Oh I yeah, it, I remember. 
Yeah, that, there was a there was a National Guard armory where it almost turned into a full fledged riot, and it was like, hey, if we got to call the National Guard, they're all right here. They got comp tickets anyway. But um, man, yeah, there were there were definitely times, you know, because we encouraged it, you know, and we, you know, if people, you know, pretended that they really wanted to get in the ring, for example, and test Baba. Bubba knows that once somebody gets in the ring, they're violating whatever's on the back of the ticket. I don't know if we had anything on the back of our tickets or not, but I mean, if you go to a baseball game, they lay it out for you simple and plain right there. They're like, if you take a baseball to the head, 150 miles per hour, lots of luck. You know what I mean? So you can't get in the ring. And Bubba knew that. So he would definitely entice people, just goad people to come into the ring. Um, and, And yeah, we definitely, I mean, we would talk about people's mothers, sisters just would you know whatever it took just to get whatever kind of heat we could i mean there's a reason we didn't have music we just we, we you know they were just before bubba was ever a bully before he was bully ray i mean that was him he was the bully of the dudleys he was a bully before he was ever a bully and that was just our, our goal was just you know he was the physical bully i was the verbal instigator and then he would get on the mic and he'd go at you verbally too and then, like, if that's not enough for you, there's this one and that one. and It's just, you know, that was our deal. You know, we, we were we were hated and we were heels, but we were top guys and we were always on top. And the chase was to try to take the, the title. We were like the, you know, I mean, it's like Ric Flair, right? Had the title 16 times. That was the Dudleys. Had the titles eight times. Every time they lost it, they got it back. And, uh, and that was the heat. Wow. I know plenty of times didn't have Bubba would be jawjacking with a fan in the front row, telling him, fuck you, you're a cunt, I fucked your girlfriend, yeah. blah, blah. Yeah. And, there, and there was Atlas standing right next to him. He's like, hop the rail, bitch. Hop the, I, dare, yeah. I fucking dare you, hop the rail. What are you going to do about it? And there's Atlas standing right next to Bubba. Don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. Please don't do it. Don't do it. Yeah. You know? So yeah. <laughs> yeah, bad news. Real bad news, like Bronx Tale. You know what I mean? It was, yeah. I don't know how anybody would ever be crazy. I don't know what you'd have to be on to really cross the, the barricade and get in the ring and, and, and think that you and whatever army you think you have could compete with our family. But it, it was, I mean, the whole thing was bad news. And uh, I'll tell you what, I got served. The only time in my life that I've ever gotten served was backstage at an ECW show, and it was Dudley related. <laughs> Shocking. Yeah. You had mentioned the uh, the travel lodge. We've we've often heard some uh, some very very Boy. interesting stories about the travel lodge. You got any good travel lodge stories for us? Oh my god, the whole place is a story. <laughs> the whole place was the Twilight Zone, man. Um, I think I think I labeled it the Cylinder of Sin, um, or or somebody <laughs> else said it once, and I picked up on it and just ran with it. But um, but ever since it was called that, either by me or somebody else. I've been keeping that alive and it's been called the cylinder of sin, but it was, it was shaped like, like a cylinder, like a, like a, like an Amazon echo. I mean, just, it was just this cone of, um, just nonsense. I mean, just anything going on in there at any given time, tons of stories about that place. One of the years that ECW was going like 96, 97, something like that. The first ever homicide in Metro Philadelphia of the calendar year happened at the Travelodge. That's right. And we got there. <laughs> they, it, they still had the police it, tape yeah. on the door. It was one of our weekends, and one of the doors had police tape. Uh, dude, the, the whole place was a movie, man. It really was. Like, the whole place was a Netflix <laughs> series. It really was. That same year, there were two other things that happened. 
I can't even remember one of them. That's probably how bizarre it is. The other one, and this was not very far removed time-wise from that homicide New Year's Day of that year, but also like weeks later, um, there was a uh, somebody died in the swimming pool. Somebody drowned in the swimming pool while oh, the lifeguard geez. like was looking away or something. The whole place was like, yeah, it was crazy. And um, and the shenanigans that went on in there, my gosh. Like, just to think that somewhere there's, like, a 21-year-old kid now who's celebrating his birthday and thinking that he's out there doing something his mother would never, never approve of. And come to think that, like, 21 years earlier, his mother was actually at the Travelodge just hanging out with ECW. Just stuff like that sometimes boggles my mind. Like, is that possible? You know, like the same way they say, is it possible that like Jenny from eight six seven five three oh nine could also be Jesse's girl, could also be Stacy's mom? Is the same because like if you do the lyrics for all three, it's possible that it's the same woman all three. And like honestly, I think about that with ECW. I'm like these women that were around in the ECW Travelodge days. That could be somebody's mother right now, and there but for the grace of God goes the United States of America. <laughs> wow. Well, then. <laughs> he fits in guys, perfect. <laughs> you guys say I'm bad. <laughs> Holy fuck. Meany was saying in a shoot interview how the Travelodge was very phallical and that they should have just wrapped a giant condom around it for everything that happened inside there. Um, do you remember any incidents with uh, when Brian Pillman was there? Because I knew when he came in there, he was he lived that gimmick. And oh, yeah. they were saying he he never broke character. And they were in the uh, in the bar. And he would just run around and start slamming the doors. And the people oh, yeah. that worked there had no idea. Totally believe it. Yep. Wow. Completely. He uh he was doing he you know he was leaving the bar going up in the elevator, and he had a bunch of fans with him, and I'm gonna oh wait no I'll get the next one Brian that's fine he goes are you sure Mikey you want to take the next one I'm the fucking loose cannon and as the door shut he just looks at me he just, he just fucking looks at me and winks, and I'm like now did he just fucking tell me that he's fucking just. Goofing off, or is he just fucking nuts? Because he looked really fucking nuts to me. <laughs> yeah, he was he he was he was crazy. He he did a really good job of if he wasn't crazy, if if, if it was just him being crazy as a fox, he did a real good job of kind of making you scratch your head and wonder if you didn't know him real well or didn't know why he was saying the kinds of. I remember one time it was one of those it was like Glenn Olden or um one of those uh, Plymouth meeting one of those Philly suburban area, like Friday night shows and, and Brian's in. Cause I guess the next night's the arena. So he's in at this spot show and like half under his breath, but not, but you know, he's sober crazy, maybe, but not like half under his breath. Like he's muttering or mumbling, but like half under like just as a throwaway line, just as something he says, like, because he doesn't care who hears it or whatever. I'm pretty sure I overhear him referring to Paul at, at talking at Paul and calling him like Dino De Laurentiis, like a director from like, <laughs> like he just read not even Dino De Laurentiis, 
Just like, like, okay, De Laurenti- Like the same way, okay, I respect you, Booker man. <laughs> he looks at Paul and he's like, uh-huh, De Laurentiis. But keep in mind, nobody has Google. Nobody has Wikipedia back then. It's like 96, 97. And I'm like, and I'm like thinking to myself, I'm like, did he just call Paul De Laurentiis for the benefit of the one, two, three people standing near enough? Like Paul's running around like a chicken with his head cut off. I don't even know if Paul heard him, even though he was saying it to Paul. And he's just, it, it was just like, he was just always on. Like you say, he just lived the gimmick. and That's just who you got. I remember we did an angle with, in ECW. I had to work Van Dam, and my knee was so fucked, I couldn't do anything. But, but half the guys were hurt. It was the arena. So they had Pillman come out during my match with Rob in, in a fucking wheelchair. Uh, we did a deal where I go, I smack him across the face, and then he's just, he took his crutches and starts just started fucking caning the shit out of my fucking leg, and just literally beating the shit out of me with this fucking crutch. We get to the back, and he pulls me aside, and as I'm going to talk to him, he's like wheeling himself, which was just kind of fucking, just a very bizarre visual. And he pulled me aside and apologized for killing me, because he couldn't put any weight on his leg, because he broke his ankle. And, like, he went from, like, being very, like, fucking crazy to pulling me aside and being very serious. And as he's apologizing to me being all fucking serious, he started fucking getting, like, crazy again. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I remember one. I got one Brian Tillman story. And it's not a, like, super personal one. It's I saw it, and I'm sure other people saw it, too. Mikey might have been around when it happened, too. But I, here's the Brian Tillman story that I've got. Leon Spinks. Shows up at an ECW show. Not sure why. There was always a tie to box. Do you guys remember? There was a tie to boxing, right? Eventually, in years later, like in the 2000s, like there would be Joe Hand boxing, like Joe Hand boxing, whatever. So there was always, it wasn't like it is now the arena where there are boxing shows, MMA shows, but there was a boxing tie. And somehow Leon Spinks is back there. Um, You know, maybe we're going to have him do, hey, you know, I'm Leon Spinks and this is ECW. So he's hanging out back there, but he totally, he's not wearing a boxing robe. He's totally casual. He just looks like a middle-aged guy, whatever, chilling out. And he, and he's not recognizable to Brian Pillman, not as a member of the ECW family, not as somebody who has any kind of backstage pass, not as somebody who he's ever seen there. Not at all. Not at all. So Brian Pillman's going to take it and basically takes it upon himself to throw this guy out of the locker room and say, who the fuck are you? You've got to go. What makes you think you, well, word gets back to him that that was Leon Spinks. And he went over to Leon Spinks and was like, Oh my God, brother, I'm so sorry. I didn't know I'm your Mark. I'm your Mark. I'm a Mark for you. I'm so sorry. No disrespect. And, and that, and he, so yeah, he flipped down on him and then apologized to him. And it was totally candid but again, it was all wrapped around a whole helix of him just being whoever Brian Pillman was at the same time as whoever Brian Pillman wanted to be so that his gimmick and his career would prosper. Do you think he hadn't he not gotten injured? Do you think we would be talking about him in the same breath as Austin? Yeah, I think he's one of the greats in professional. I think he's an, I mean, talk about Chris Candido. You talk about Axel Rotten. You talk about guys who are perfect naturals for the business. Like this is what they need to be doing. Uh, It's their calling. And I think, yeah, Brian definitely fits that mold. Like he absolutely 
would have only gotten better, would have only gone in different directions, and whether he would eventually have been, you know, uh, an advocate of sorts, a manager, whether he would have been, you know, a GM type, whatever it would have been after he got out of the ring, you know, whenever he felt was his time. But I think he could have been a lifer for wrestling, and I think things would have just kept getting better for him, yeah. When you kind of look back on everything that was ECW, and it's over 20 years now, what do you remember, you know, as far as everything that had happened? And there was so much that had gone on, so many things that were kind of chaotic at times, but yet it was it was such a neat, unique situation that, you know, a lot of people think will never be replicated again. What's your, what's your memories of ECW? Like, what stands out to you as, oh, that's quintessential ECW? Man, um just the transformation like if you whether you've never seen it before or whether you're just re-watching it and you have seen it before if you go now onto like wwe network and you watch hardcore tv week after week month after month you'll see like there's 25 people in the room and then 50 and then 100 and that white wall that they're shooting hard cam that's the back wall you'll see that eventually the white disappears because there's no wall anymore because now there's just bleachers full of people as we're exceeding fire code by like hundreds and hundreds. Um, you, you can just, you can see the evolution, whether it's just that the talent goes from being 90% Philly to 10% Philly, nothing against Philly but just because you got guys coming in from Japan, Mexico, Canada, England, Germany, um, you can, you can just see it. I mean, that's, that's quintessentially ECW is the little engine that could, you know, just, just keeps on chugging away. Just, just the little, the little victories, you know, the, you know, for me personally, as a fan and coming into the business, um, just like, going to these buildings that you used to go and watch wrestling in and now ECW is on the marquee, you know, just going to places like for me, you know, some of them in town, you know, WWF buildings, you know, near, you know, like mid Hudson civic center in Poughkeepsie. I used to go see raw tapings there. Now we're doing pay-per-views and we're taping, you know, um, then there would be what, um, there would be the Hara arena in Dayton, and then you talk about WCW buildings like Cobb County Civic Center, like Jerry said, center stage, just iconic. Just to work in places like that. Um, I remember one time we had Poughkeepsie and we're driving up the ramp into the parking lot. And as we're driving to park the car and get ready to go into the building, one side of the marquee says tonight ECW wrestling and the other side of it says you know next week or this friday or whatever kenny rogers wow and i was like and, and i was and you know and not that kenny rogers was you know at the time you know madonna prince or michael jackson but kenny rogers was still fucking kenny rogers he's still kenny rogers now and just just that just that in the moment of looking at that marquee and being like holy shit somebody famous is coming here next week so i guess we're famous because we're here tonight um, it, it just, just a lot of stuff like that, uh, working in the Manhattan center, Hammerstein ballroom. Um, just, just a lot of cool stuff, man. Oh, I get the same feeling like, uh, when I watch America's got talent, 
and they're shooting it from the Hammerstein Ballroom. And I'm like, hey, I wrestled there. Hmm. And it's just a pretty cool feeling, you know, that we got to perform in such nostalgic and iconic buildings. Hey, Front Row Material podcast fans. It's friend of the show, Lucha Freddy. Well, I say Lucha Freddy. Lucha Freddy is my Twitter, Instagram, and all the social media handles. I don't know why people seem to refer to me as that name. I'm actually Freddie Mercurio, back from the dead, luchador rock star. I know, why would anyone make that mistake? Well, that's their numpty fault. I mean, seriously. So, let's get to some serious business. You seem to like wearing t-shirts. You're wearing a t-shirt, are you not? Well, hang on a minute, you're not? Why? Oh dear, no. We need to get you corrected. Right. Go, go onto your computer device. Apparently phones do this as well. Go to prowrestlingtees.com, slap in a forward slash, and add F-R-M-P-O-D. This will get you to the front row material podcast designs. Apparently they're absolutely gorgeous, rather sexy, and will give you additional points in all forms of gorgeousness. Uh, I should point out this last part is not necessarily guaranteed, but there is one general consensus. It's a kind of magic. Anyway, I'll let you get back to the podcast. Oh, make sure you go to prowrestlingtees.com forward slash Lucha Freddy and check out my stuff. Because it's, it's really, it really is a kind of magic. I tried to, as Joel was talking, I had to control a sneeze. <laughs> what? And God damn it. My, you I, got, I, you got I, it? I popped my fucking eardrum. <laughs> I think I damn one? I think I damn near Never shit myself. Never let that happen. Oh my Mike, God. Mike, not for me. Please, God, for, I'm not going to be able to sleep tonight. Come on, really? Uh, I'm just like, oh. I appreciate it, bro. <laughs> God, never. I'm like, I'm never doing that again. Fuck. I don't care who's on. I'm fucking sneezing. <laughs> Your ears whistling. Or if, or if I didn't panic, I would just hit the mute button. But. Oh. Like, seriously, I. it was like it hit by the clutch. I hit it and I went, ee. I thought, holy fuck. God. <laughs> That's crazy, dude. Yeah, uh, and I swear I shit myself. I won't know till later, but I swear. <laughs> no, to God. don't, dude. Oh my gosh! Oh my gosh! <laughs> well, <laughs> he shit his pants. <laughs> Gross. So, Joel, if people want to follow you and they want to touch base with you and kind of find out more about Joel Gertner, how can they get in contact with you? Where can they follow you? What's all the details there? If somebody wants to follow me, they should, at a medium pace, take your time. If you got a shit, <laughs> shit, and then, come uh, and then put a flip in your step and come back and sneeze, do whatever biological you got to do first. <laughs> it's negotiable if you're like 18 to 34 female, we can talk. You can bring your biological functions with you. But in some cases, just please, whatever you have to do, go ahead, um, decorum. And, uh, but yeah, they could follow me at, um, Twitter is good. Um, 
Twitter is good. Uh, I'm at Stud Muffins says. Oh, uh, I'm also at 69 Minute Eargasm. Um, Instagram. <laughs> yeah, man, well, that's the podcast, dude. That's the anthem. Throw your damn ears in. Um, and Instagram. Skeet. Mm, mm, Instagram is Quintessential Stud Muffin. Um, what else is there? I've got a YouTube channel. If you want to watch me cook, if you want to watch me unbox wrestling stuff, like Pro Wrestling Crate, if you want to watch me unbox Blue Apron, uh, the cooking show Quintessential Cuisine is up there. We're in the top two of wrestling cooking shows out of a universe of two. Francine, I think right now, is number one, but we're sneaking right up behind her at number two. And, uh, and that's on my YouTube channel right now. It just started. We don't have enough subscribers yet on it to have a nice little tight, tiny URL. So we have this conglomeration catastrophe of like Cyrillic alphabet and, you know, numbers, letters, uppercase, lowercase. <laughs> it's a mess. I don't remember it. If I told it to you, you wouldn't either. But that link is findable on my Twitter bio and my Instagram bio. And we'd really appreciate it if you subscribe to the YouTube channel. Um, and the YouTube channel is Joel Gertner. So you can also go to YouTube, search Joel Gertner. One of the first entries you see that's not just a loose video, but it's actually a channel called Joel Gertner is the one that you're looking for. We do a lot of cool shit, and we are hoping to do even more cool stuff uh, in the days and weeks to come. Um, but that's the best way to find me, social media and the YouTube channel. Uh, the 69-Minute Eargasm is my podcast. Um I'm hoping to have another one up that uh, that will not compete with you guys, but it will be ECW related. It may or may not be linked with a podcast producer that is um, a pretty cool dude and pretty big dude. Uh, I don't really say his name out loud because we try to tease that there's a lot of mystery behind all this, even though I made an announcement at StarCast about it. But, but that should be happening soon. But in the meantime, 69-Minute Eargasm is basically, if you remember the Howard Stern TV show in New York. It aired on Channel 9 on WWOR. For anybody who remembers that back in the 80s, 90s, um, the eargasm is like that, but there's no video. There's uh, not a lot of little people yet, <laughs> but we're working on it. Um, it it's, it's essentially the wrestling version of that, um, but it's really, really funny. A lot of comedy, a lot of good music. A lot of obscure late 70s, early 80s music that nobody's really ever heard. But if you heard it, you'd love it. And uh, and that's about it. So give that a try. And that's available wherever you find podcasts like this and all of your other fine podcasts, um, iTunes and everywhere else. My ear is fucking re- I think my ear is bleeding, to be honest. That's not good. That's from holding in a shit sneeze. I, I, <laughs> I would check to see the color of the blood and see that it's a, a, a more of a reddish and not kind of a crimson or a maroon or, uh, you know, because you, because if you cross the streams, if you hold the one pipe too down too much and the other one up too much, then, you know, because you have gone through the Travelodge. And remember, the Travelodge is the Twilight Zone of professional wrestling. So, you know. I'm, I'm just saying, man, stranger things have happened. It's like that fucking TV show, Even Manifest. Yeah, that's a great show. We didn't just bring an airplane. We went into the travel lodge. The same thing. Uh, I think I've lived enough travel lodge to want to really think too deeply about Manifest. I try to watch Manifest very, very kind of laissez-faire, very kind of casually hands-off. Because once you've been through travel lodge... I mean, I, I swear I saw a girl one time 
you know, eat three apples and shit out of fruit salad. Like, I mean, it, like, <laughs> like the stuff that went on at that Travelodge. Oh my god, it's a very wholesome place. Oh yeah, yeah, great well, family to bring the kids. And, uh, the Travelodge is before my home. time, but after seeing everything that went on in other places, uh, I, I couldn't even imagine. Yeah, because um, even. Waiting all night at the Burt Flickinger Center in Buffalo. We'd be so bored. I couldn't believe the stuff that went on there. Yeah. 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 Guys and girls had fun at Travelodge. It was, uh, it was, it might not have been family, but if it was definitely uh, a spot for intergender activity. And um, it was, yeah, I mean, there were girls there for sure. Any given Friday or Saturday night that would get frisky for some whiskey or do something. Strange. <laughs> I don't know. Cab. Fair. I don't have no idea. Joel, were, were, no you, were, you chips, around, no. were you around when the Deadheads came around? Now, you know when else I wasn't around? Didn't you guys get accosted when you were in Florida by Green Day? Y- yes. Didn't Billy Joe from Green Day come up to like a couple of the ECW guys and try to kind of get mouthy or something until he like realized what the score was or something? Uh, he was kind of giving grief to the, the lady at the uh, at the front desk. Not Deb. No, no. This is at the hotel. Oh, oh. oh. Uh, you know, the poor lady working overnight. And yeah. then somebody we're not going to talk about was, was very nice and very uh, chivalrous and, and came to her aid and pretty much wow. and pretty much put the guy in his place. <laughs> so much happened at that travel lodge, man. I think I think we found out or I, I I know I found out I think for the first time Tupac, I think, when he got shot. I think I found that out at the Travel Lodge because that happened on like a Saturday night. So I think after one of our arena shows, like everybody's just hanging out or whatever, and we found out Tupac got shot. Just it was at just uh, you know what they were notorious for? You'd get your key, your key card to your room. Ha ha rib, and you'd stick it in, and you walk in, and it's like. And it, like it's like Jack in the Box yeah. meets Pandora's <laughs> Box. It's like you could walk in on like a honeymooning couple. Like you could walk in on like a coworker. Like you like you don't know what you're gonna get. You know what I mean? It's 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 like um, a, it's like you know if, if somebody's like a trisexual. You know what I mean? They just they stick they try to stick their hand down somebody's pants and whatever they get they win. You know what I mean? It was like oh that. Like you stick the card in and whatever you see, it's like hey, you know, marry whatever. Oh, no. Walking on a bonded session. <laughs> yeah, dude. Oh, oh excuse my God. me. It's a shorter list of what hadn't happened at that hotel. Well, please tell me none of the rooms in the bathrooms had the glory hole on the wall. Brother, if you pointed one of those black light <laughs> pens anywhere inside any of those rooms, and pick any room that has a number on it. If you take a black light pen, the whole room would disappear. It would be like men in black. Where the whole room would forget that it's part of a hotel and it would vaporize. You didn't happen to be with them when they were down in uh, New Orleans on the float. Were you a part of that? Mm-mm. Okay. I was down there that weekend, but I wasn't. I wasn't on bourbon um, during for the float. No. Oh, you missed out on getting pelted with debris from an angry crowd. Oh my gosh! And and, and Ulf Herman, blast my schwads! <laughs> And Mikey Blast taking Max a bump through the windshield. No, I remember for a few months, people would scream, Blast Max Fox! <laughs> I do remember that. We, we threw about a thousand beads out in the first three minutes of this parade. <laughs> the fucking parade didn't even start yet. 
God. We were throwing them to homeless vagrants. <laughs> we thought they were just ECW fans. We, we didn't know. <laughs> Good times. Yeah. Uh, Joel, thanks for coming on, man. Thank you guys for having me. Yes, thank you. Fun tonight, really. And I'm, I'm glad you guys had me on. Thanks for reaching out. Yeah, anytime. My ear is fucking killing me. <laughs> it's not my fault. Uh, and of course, I text, Jer- I text Jerry, <laughs> the old Chinese couple, the plane crash. The pilot, <laughs> some, the pilot, something Wong. Oh, yeah, yeah. And holy fuck. <laughs> Mikey, how are you at the same time? Dude, what are you, you're like a multitasker because you're on the podcast. You're being entertained and you're entertaining us at the same time. In addition to all that, you're sending out internet memes. You're stifling shits. You're 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 holding in sneezes. Like and what the you're like you're a medical anomaly and, and you're quite frankly, I don't know how you how you handle it all. And I'm, I'm you're, actually you're like, I'm actually working too, believe it or not, my regular gig. That's that's nuts, dude. Oh man, my life is complete. Hillbilly Jim just followed me on Twitter. Woo! <laughs> Sweet. I love Hillbilly Jim, but man, he got those he got those those big black boots from Hulk Hogan. Yeah. I tell you what. That was magnificent. And his theme song, which I'm pissed is no longer you can't get it on any of his, uh, his videos on the network or anything. Really? Yeah, don't go miss with the country boy. It's not uh it's not on the network and stuff. That's hard to believe. I wanna, I wanna message him right now and say, why the fuck is your music edited out of everything? Don't go messing with a country boy, a country boy, a country, country boy, a country don't, boy. Don't go messing with a country don't boy. Don't mess with a country boy. My first meal was a bear I killed. Look <laughs> 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 up my teeth on a big oak tree. Oh man, such good stuff. And grab them cakes. Yeah, man, grab them cakes was on American Bandstand. Was it really? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, 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 one day I keep eventually I'll do it at some point I always want to take somebody I'm fucking with at a wrestling show and as they're coming to the ring just change their music to grab them cakes <laughs> because you know how seriously these kids take their music nowadays dude I you know what but I always get ribbed with it I, I've stopped like I don't even care now what I come out to because I've noticed that like it's like a zero out of ten proposition like every time like sound guy will ask me what do you want to come out to and i tell them and it's always something else or it's always they'll be like hey oh yeah that's true but remember an ecw on episode 375 when you <laughs> yeah or you can ask them to play something and they play something different because mikey hates it <laughs> i'm not I a- ring announce jerry's match at um wrestlecade and it's partly because of what sound guys do that I went up to Jerry and and like we only had like a second before going through the curtain to go over everything. So I know that that's a terrible spot to be in. But I just wanted to lay everything out like simple and plain, like, you know, just so that there's no surprises or whatever, you know, just out of like the respect of like, because I've just seen some sound people just completely like take over the show and just do whatever the fuck they want. Oh, I always just hated when. Instead of a nice fade out, it'd be an abrupt stop to the music. Yeah, when I was doing music for ECW, I made sure that we had a nice fade. How many different ECW shows did we do where people took turns doing the ring and the intros behind the curtain with the mic? 
Oh, yeah, that was great towards the end. Oh, yeah. Somebody had Molino, and your referee is bald. I used to do that with Molino, but one time we had no ring announcer in Louisiana at like a Sunday afternoon show. Nobody, there was nobody that could volunteer, nobody that, you know, was vetted to, to be able to kind of do it. And I was like, well, I'll, I'll do it, and I'll do like a different voice for each match. And I did one match as Finkel. I did one match as Gary Capetta. And then, like, I did one match as whoever, but, like, when I was ring announcing Dreamer, I went on and on about him, like, and when he's not wrestling, he's working in the laboratory trying to cure cancer. And, like, just, like <laughs> every nice thing I could say about Dreamer. But uh, that was a lot of fun to be able to ring announce every match. Um, yeah, that was a blast. And everybody thought we were always so serious. <laughs> oh, yeah. that's, that's the real company. Yeah, no. That's why we kept working when there was no check because we were having so much fun. That was the only reason. So I'm, I'm glad your pain, my pain and suffering, making you laugh. That's that's good, Jerry. <laughs> I really fuck appreciate that. I can't help it. <laughs> it's really because not- I heard it. I don't know if anyone else heard it, but I was. Oh, it and hurts. That's the weird thing. I'm like, I know Mikey just stifled a sneeze. <laughs> oh. So ungodly painful. Oh, it was bad. I had tears coming out of my eyes. I couldn't stop. I opened the door, and there's Annabelle standing in the doorway of her bedroom, and she's looking at me, and I started laughing even harder, and I'm trying to be quiet because Pam was already in bed. And, oh, I I was just... And then, by that point, I was leaving, too, because I had to go to the bathroom because if I didn't stop laughing, I was going to pee myself. Oh, it was... So you peaced out and went to the bathroom? Yeah. I just put, I had to. I, oh I just took the headphones off and quietly tried to get out while I was trying to hold back my laughing. Oh my god, that oh, was so wow. hard. Oh, I feel so fucking loved. <laughs> well, at least I recognized a very quiet stifle of a sneeze. Part part of me wanted to just scream out, "Oh fuck, my eardrum!" And I think I shit my pants. I'm like, no, I'm, I'm going to behave. Oh. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh. You know, and, and, you know, and I wished, and I wish good luck with your fucking inspection tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> What's this got to do with that? Well, I'm thinking, like, I, I'm here hurting, like, my, I have one head, part of my headphone in now, because my left ear is, like, all muffled and shitty. It just sounds fucking brutal. So I have the one, mm-hmm. and I'm and I'm and I'm thinking to myself, I'm hurting oh. myself here. I think I made a mess of myself. <laughs> I said, only one who's gonna know how, if I fucking shat my pants or not is my wife, who's gonna do the fucking laundry. <laughs> <laughs> and you're here laughing. <laughs> and I and I, um. and I said and I said to him earlier today, I said, you know, Jerry, I hope I hope the inspection goes good tomorrow. And he's well, like, oh, yeah. and he's like, oh, well, you know, if anything happens, you know, you know. Well, We'll have to pay for it. And I said, well, that, wait a minute. That comes out of the profits. <laughs> I said, the profits of what? <laughs> I said, the profits. I go, that's going to affect my gift. I said, for all my good natured, and when you were all stressed out and having a hard time, I said, Jerry, call me. I'll make you feel better. Every time, much like tonight, I made you laugh. You forgot about mm. your stretch. And I, I was, before the call, I always ended, I said, Jerry, you feel better now. And you said, yes. 
And I yes. said, they better not find anything wrong with this inspection because it's going to affect my gift, my thank you gift. Taking mm-hmm. out the profits. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then what'd you say? <laughs> I said, I'm worth my weight in gold. And I said, I can't afford that much. <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> See? So he sings me again. <laughs> but then right away, I said, I was just kidding. Yes, I know. You had to... It's okay to zig me as long as you apologize. Yes. You, you fat fuck. <laughs> oh, gosh. Oh, my God. Are we ready to say goodbye? Um, <laughs> sure. I was ready to say goodbye after I shit myself. <laughs> I fucked this amount. Wow. It sounded painful. <laughs> oh, it fucking hurt. Like, I'm not kidding. As we try to get our composure together. Well, as I, as I hear <laughs> We'd like to thank Joel Gertner for coming on the program this week. Well, I, I threw my finger in my ear. I'm like, where'd that blood come from, you son of a bitch? We'd like to remind everyone, if you'd like to follow Joel, you can follow him on Instagram and Twitter. Somebody's got to get through this. Oh, it this is not through. going well. It went through, all right. If you'd like to follow Joel on Twitter, he can be found at Stud Muffin Says. And if you'd like to go ahead and follow him on Instagram, it's at 69 Minute Eargasm. And once again, you can find his podcast anywhere fine podcasts are made available. That is the 69 Minute Eargasm that is hosted by Mr. Joel Gertner. And you can find his merchandise over at ProWrestlingTees.com. Go ahead and pick up yourself a shirt. Support Joel Gertner. Is there anything else you guys want to say before we uh, say goodbye to everybody? Ooh, I don't know. <laughs> I hope everyone is is impressed and happy with my dedication to this show. <laughs> I am. <laughs> you're not even getting out of a chair to use the bathroom, so I mean, you're you are dedicated. I wanted to. <laughs> you are defecated, I, is what we can I say. I thought it was just a sneeze. Yes, I'm defecated. Oh my god, def. Remember, at a certain age, a sneeze isn't just a sneeze anymore. Well, guess what age that is? 45. Yeah. (laughs) It gets very dangerous to try and hold a sneeze. Oh, God. Okay. Before before we turn into the uh, the male version of the Golden Girls. Not only when I had to fucking, I had to sit here, knowing the sneeze was coming, I had to fucking brace my neck. Like I was getting a chair (laughs) shot from Boss Mahoney. So I'm sitting here all crumped up with my shoulders up to my ears, trying to protect my neck. I'm squeezing my fucking tank together <laughs> so I don't piss her shit. I thought I had to fucking break in my eardrum. Did you just say taint? Yeah. Oh, God. I'm taint sure. and skeet all in this episode, guys. Can't make this shit up. They're working them Kegel exercises. <laughs> oh, my God. I'm sure Gertner's got a neck brace you can borrow. I'm sure he does. All right, before we let everybody go, we do want to let you know, if you're having a good time, you're enjoying the podcast, please go ahead and follow us over on Twitter. You can follow the show at FRMPod. Remember, every Wednesday, a new show drops at 6 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. And if you'd like to go over to our website, you can go to frmpod.com. It has everything that you want when it comes to front row material. You'd like to also get, what's it, 8x10 autographed pictures of Mikey Whipwreck. Go ahead and hit him up with a DM. He'd be more than happy to help you. Plus, he's still pushing and hawking those uh, Etch-A-Sketch autographs, right, Mikey? They're fucking tremendous. Original. They're all originals. They, they're absolutely beautiful. I actually got mine today. 
I was very happy about See? that. So if you if you like what you got, by the way, you like what, bucks. what I got. I will <laughs> I, I will give you my credit card number when we're off the oh, air. Sweet. Nice. All right. So, Mikey, is there anything else you want to say before we leave? Anything else you would like to share with us? Well, Mar- March 10th, I'll be appearing not? at the, the, the Michael Keener Appreciation Night. Um, even though the show's at 3 o'clock, figure that one out. <laughs> That's in uh, <laughs> Glassboro, Glassboro, Williamstown, New Jersey. I think it is Williamstown, New nice. Jersey. Um, yes. Well, you're going to be in Greektown Wrestling with your good friend Tajiri, and I believe that's on the 24th. Is that correct? Yes, the 24th. Yes, and then the night before that, you're going to be in Toronto as well. You will not be wrestling, oh, but you Mo- will be... Massey, now you're fucking me up. I'll be in, Mo- I'll be in Montreal the 23rd. Montreal the 23rd, Toronto the 24th. Greektown, Toronto, same shit. I bet. Guido's going to be there too. Nice. And Jazz. You know who else is going to be there? Who else? Lucha Freddy. Ooh. Lucha Freddy is the Lucha man, is by the way. There. Space Monkey's going to be there. You know, you know, you know who else is going to be there? <laughs> I can't imagine. Ooh. Channing Dexter. <laughs> Decker. Channing Decker. Decker. <laughs> oh, Channing Decker. Actually, God, actually, I've heard about him. I'm actually wrestling him. You're wrestling And I him? butcher his name every week. That's going to be good. The Channing Dexter? Yeah. Okay. Dexter nice. Channing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> Dexter Channing. Are you related to Gary? <laughs> <laughs> oh. Kids are like, this is kitty. Who's that? Yeah, right? Oh. If you'd like to go ahead and follow Mikey Whipwreck on Twitter, you can follow him. He's at Mikey Whipwreck underscore. I gotta change my name once again. What are you gonna What are you gonna change it to? You keep saying you're gonna change it. No, I gotta change the handle. Oh, what's your handle? What do you want to change it to? Jerry. <laughs> what's your handle? The Mikey Whipwreck underline thing. But oh, I oh, you want to change that thing? Get rid of the underscore. Yeah. That's really bothering you. What? The underscore thing. Well, some fucking pump handle has fucking Mikey Whipwreck, and I'm like, why? Who the fuck? Why don't we try to find him? No. Who is this guy? I'm gonna send a tweet out now. At Mikey Whipwreck. Fuck off. (laughs) (laughs) You think that'll work? I don't know. Eh, I don't know. Well, there's a Mikey underscore Whipwreck. Yeah, so, tell him. Tell him to go fuck off? <laughs> I don't know. I'll tell him. If you would like to go ahead and, like I said before, get some autographs from Mikey, go ahead and shoot him with the DM oh, over on Twitter. <laughs> and with that, we're going to segue to Jerry. Okay. If you'd like to follow Jerry Lynn on Twitter, you can follow him at It's Jerry Lynn. And Jerry has some very interesting news that just broke this past week about appearances he will be making. Uh, Jerry, you will be at StarCast. Yes. 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 In Las Vegas, Nevada. You pretty excited about that? I'm very excited. Uh, nice. Band. Hmm? I'm band. Your band, yes. I'm happy oh. for you. Well, yeah, it'll be nice. I, I've only been to Vegas twice. Really? No, I do have to plug something for people in the the uh, 
Tennessee area, I will be doing a seminar for Crimson's Tried and True Wrestling School on nice. Saturday, March 2nd at 11 from 11 to 2. And if you'd like to get more information on that, you can follow Tried and True on Twitter. It's at Tried, then the letter N, then True Pro. And they will have all the information right there. Right now, reserve your spot at TriedandTruePro.com for $40. Don't get a chance to miss superstar Jerry Lynn and listen to him as he has a seminar from 11 to 2. It's exciting, Jerry. Yeah. Big thing. Big things are happening, dude. You're recovering from the hip surgery. You're going to be going to StarCast, giving seminars. Yeah. Not even using a cane anymore. So. Look at you. The sad thing is it's amazing how much older you look when you're using a walker or a cane. And then you get told by your daughter, you're the elderly. Wow. Yeah, that's a real confidence booster. Shit. See, thanks for Jerry turning around. I'm going I'm going straight to shit. <laughs> All right. We will see you. I didn't even get to say goodbye. The rule of MLW Radio never stops. 